Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pittsburgh Steeler fans, it is time once again for Here We Go, the Steelers show. Yeah, it's the offseason. There's not a game to get ready for, but that doesn't matter because we have Brian Anthony Davis from Behind the Steel Curtain, the podcast producer, but that's not what I'm touting. I'm touting the fact that we have Coach KT Smith, high school football legend, and I know he's going to yell at me for saying that, but in my eyes, he absolutely is. And he's going to break down the black and gold for us like nobody else. So, KT, what is going on, my friend? Nothing, Brian. I'm I'm just uh, you know excited to have a chance to talk about some some other aspects of the Steelers. I really like that. Uh, well, I don't like that our season's over, obviously, but I like that we get to kind of transition into some interesting conversations. I think that the off season is really one of the most fascinating parts of uh, football, and I look forward to really being able to kind of break it down with you. Well, I'm going to break down the fourth wall here real quick, and I'm just going to mention this. We had the opportunity, like we did last year when the season ended and the Steelers lost to the Cleveland Browns in the playoffs in that terrible wild card game. We did the final, we did a final show to wrap it up, and then we didn't talk to you until September when the Steelers got started again. And Jeff Hartman, Dave Schofield, and I were talking this year. They're like, yeah, we can't put Kevin on the shelf anymore. He's too good. We need to have that analysis. In fact, they said, we're wasting and putting him on Saturday morning. So we're going to try to move you up here to Fridays. And that's what we're going to do real soon in a couple of weeks after the Super Bowl. But we are glad to have your insight. So give me a little peek into the future, into the BTSC crystal ball. What kind of things are we going to be talking about when we're talking about the black and gold in the month of February, March, April, May, and June. Yeah, we're, we're really going to try to tie our shows to what the Steelers are doing at that point in the offseason. We're going to try to get into Mike Tomlin's head a little bit, look at how a coach runs his offseason, and we're going to really have a theme each week where we try to say, okay, so the, our theme this week will be uh, focus for the draft, or our theme this week will be uh, evaluation of the of the offensive line. Uh, our our theme this week will be how how does a coach evaluate his assistant coaches and and what can we what can we say about the Steelers assistant coaches? So I think that kind of tying the way the way the way we do the pregame show obviously is we we do a show that is a preview of e- of each week's uh, opponent, and I think that 
throughout the off season, you can do something similar. You can really look at like, okay, well, where, where is the focus right now? If we, if we could be transported into the Steelers facility and, and be a fly on the wall and sit with Mike Tomlin and, and those guys. And uh, you know, what would they be talking about? What are they preparing for? Because football is a uh, 24, seven, 365 experience as a pro head coach. There are, there are no days off, you know, and they, and they're going to be, you know, they're going to be working year round. So, so, you know, let's take that journey with them. Speaking of that journey, you just said pro head coach. Now I want to take off the pro for a second and I want to tie it into we're, we're going to have some fun when we do this and we're going to get into the mind of you, how you're preparing to as well. So we're going to talk about what Mike, not what Mike Tomlin should be doing, but what Mike Tomlin is doing based on what you're doing. Now we're, we're, we're not kidding ourselves and saying that, Oh, it's the same high school coach to a pro coach. No, we would never make that comparison, but, when you're a coach, it doesn't matter what level you have a certain kind of preparation, and we could compare and contrast what you're doing at Ocean City High School in New Jersey based on what the Pittsburgh Steelers do and get a little peek into your office, too. And I think that would be great because when we're talking football and we're talking schemes and we're talking different things, you're, you're able to analyze this because this is your job every single day. And like you said, Seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, 24-7. This is what you do each and every day. And this is what Mike Tomlin does each and every day. And we'd like to compare that as well. So are you up to that task? Absolutely. You know, it's funny. There are some interesting parallels. One thing that's that's uh, really interesting is, is this. I have far more contact with, with our players than Mike Tomlin will have with his between now and really the summertime when training camp starts because the CBA rules and, and all of the things that govern the way in which organizations and their players can interact greatly limits the contact that he'll have. So he's going to spend an awful lot of time looking at other players, you know, whether the college kids are free agents or, or whatever. And, uh, and there's going to be limited contact with his own guys. And I'm going to see mine every day. So <laughs> yeah, for good or for bad, I'll see him every day. I'm going to ask you a quick question because it just popped in my head when you say that, because I know you see them in the, the hallways, but I'm sure that you have players on the wrestling team, the basketball team, the baseball team. Is it exclusive to football or are they on other teams as well? Oh, uh, we absolutely encourage them to participate in other sports. There's an interesting tweet I saw the other day that showed the uh, quarterbacks in the in the quarterfinals in the in the divisional playoff last weekend, the eight the eight starting quarterbacks played uh, a combined twenty two sports in high school. Six of them were were three sport athletes, and the other two were two sport athletes. They were all multi sport guys, and we are huge proponents of that. I really, I, as much as I love having them in the weight room with us, because that's really where we are right now. We're just uh, we're in our into our off season training program for the guys who are not involved in a, in a winter sport as much as I love that. And the, and the, and the contact that we get, I would rather have them competing. I don't think there's any substitute for competition. We got a really good sports program overall at our high school. And for example, our baseball team won the state championship last year and our lacrosse team won the, the South Jersey championship. And we got a ton of guys who play those sports. You can't tell me that a kid in the weight room, you know, uh, going through his normal training routine gets more out of that than a kid does playing in a state championship game in any sport. The competition at at 
that level is so valuable because it carries over. You, you learn how to compete against the best athletes in whatever sport, and that's going to that's gonna transfer to what you do on the football field. So we're huge proponents of, of multi-sport athletes. And, and then, you know, I, I enjoy getting to watch them in other, in other sports as well. So you attend those games and those matches and those track meets. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, speaking of track, you know, we, we try to push all our guys to wrestling and track just because I, we think that they, that they translate the best towards football. But honestly, whatever they're doing, Except crew. I don't like crew. It thins them out too much. You know? <laughs> but, <laughs> All right. No row for you. No, <laughs> no oars. No, no, no. <laughs> All right. I always, I always tell the crew guys, like, I'm like, you know, that's what, like, when an army won in a war, they, like, enslaved the losing army and they made them row boats, you know? Like, yeah, that's what you're basically doing. <laughs> the POW activity. <laughs> <laughs> Great. I want to join the the crew team but i can't co- tell coach smith <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> i'm just kidding all right let's talk about uh let's talk about our other crew and let's talk about the pittsburgh steelers so i'm going to ask you this straight out because there's a lot of mentality that if you don't win the championship you don't ho- hoist that sticky lombardi then you didn't have a good season you know that it's it's a losing season there's people that think that i absolutely don't I'm going to share my thoughts after you, but first and foremost, the Steelers, they go nine, seven, and one in this season. And you could almost say that you can say in a way that uh, you take away the Seattle game because that was the extra game. You could say they went eight, seven, and one if it's a normal 16 game season, but with it, a 17 game season, they went nine, seven, and one. So, they lost in the first round of the playoffs once again, but in your mind, was this a successful season, Kevin? Absolutely. I don't think unless, unless you think that your team is uh, a, a true Super Bowl contender, which I don't believe anybody felt about this year's Steelers team. If you make the playoffs, especially if you make them in a year where everybody believes that you're in a rebuild, that's a successful season. I, I, I know that they, they didn't look pretty at times, and I know that there were there were uh, times where this felt like far from a playoff caliber team. But they made the playoffs. They won some big games. They they swept Cleveland. They swept Baltimore. They you know beat Buffalo on the road. I mean, they really they, there were times where where despite the fact that they were playing a lineup that was ravaged by injuries. Uh, lim- highly limited on the offensive side of the ball, four rookies starting on offense. I mean, there's an awful lot of in, – in, in a lot of situations, when you put all those things together, you're looking more at like, uh, like a 5-12 like a and 12 season. But credit to Mike Tomlin. I know that a lot of people don't want to hear this because there's still that fairly strong fire Tomlin con- contingency out there. But credit to Mike Tomlin, really, for being able to get the most out of the team that he had uh, and to and to get them into a, a meaningful postseason game. So yes, to me, it's a successful season. Now let's uh, let's go and do exactly what we were just talking about. I want you to take. Uh, well, I want to ask you this question first. So your team, how many freshmen play, or are they mostly on JV? Yeah, we have a freshman at JV and a varsity. Okay, so your varsity team, the youngest guys, are mostly sophomores, right? Correct. No freshman, or is there that rare freshman that that uh, makes it? 
yeah, we'll, we'll pull a kid up occasionally if he's, you know, physically prepared to do it. And we think that he'll benefit from being around the varsity guys. Okay. So I want, I want you to think about your sophomore players and you went to the, uh, you went to the state finals this year. Is that correct? Yes. All right. And I, I know you, uh, you got your sophomore, some playoff experience. And even if it was one and one and done, or the fact that you, you did not prevail in the championship game, but what kind of experience did those guys have and how could we equate it to the experience of Dan Moore, Jr., Isaiah Loudermilk, Trey Norwood, Pat Fryermuth, Kendrick Green, who was not healthy enough to play in that game, but he was still a part of the experience, and uh, Najee Harris. And if I'm missing per- Presley Harvin the third, if I'm missing anybody there. Right. Yeah. Trade. Did you say trade Norwood? I, mean, I said was- Norwood. Yep. Okay. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, at, at every level of football, when you go up, two things are immediately apparent. One is that the game gets much faster. Uh, and the second is it gets much more physical. And no matter how good you are at one level, there's an adjustment when you get to that, that next level. And obviously, it's a massive each level that you go up, that the, the, the leap gets bigger and bigger because the, the talent gets greater and greater. So, so for rookies in the NFL, you, they're now playing, they're now going from playing amongst, you know, the top uh, 1% of football players on the planet to playing against, you know, sort of the top 10th of a percent of football players on the, on the planet. So they're truly amongst the elite and, you know, it's a, it's a, a tremendous adjustment. I, you know, I've, we've trained with some pro guys and they all talk about uh, just, you know, as a, as a rookie, how they don't know what they don't know. Just they're, they're not yet prepared for how physical the NFL guys are and how fast they are. Um, so, so to be able to, to get that experience for the Steelers this year and just to acclimate and really by the middle of the season for a lot of those guys with probably the exception of Kendrick green, who I think regressed, but I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily all on him, but uh, the other, those other guys, they just got better as the season went and you could see that they acclimated and that's exciting because they're now going to be young players next year as, as second year guys who are going to have veteran experience and it's going to you know be obviously tremendously beneficial to the team. I mean, when you asked about our sophomore guys, we, we played in, in a championship game, against a, a team that was loaded with Division One athletes, you know, guys that have scholarship offers to big schools all over the country. And, you know, our kids were 15 years old. I mean, two years earlier, they were eighth graders playing Pop Warner ball, and now they're playing against kids that are, you know, getting offers from schools like UCLA and Alabama, and, uh, and that's exciting for them. And, yeah, I mean, we, you know, we got handled in that championship game, but those kids will learn from the experience and get better for it. You know, there's no teacher like experience and that's probably true of everything, you know, football and beyond. Wow. That is well said. So I, I want to keep on, I want to keep talking about your sophomores here and I'm sure that you've had some sophomores that went ahead and had to start this year and six uh, six of them start and they're the, I'm sure there are varying levels of success with these guys. Yep. So I'm sure there's some that, that struggled in the, 
in the new light and some that that uh took the opportunity and and just uh kept on going and did very well so the reason i'm bringing up um maybe not a specific player but this the uh, i'm trying to equate this to kendrick green and do you see anybody on your team that resembles the the type of struggles you've had great hope for them but they did struggle but how do you move forward with a player like that that you know you could get something out of i mean I, i'm i'm of the opinion that he's in the wrong, he's at the wrong position and i'll just i'll give you an example cuz you asked for it but we had a player uh, a sophomore who was a safety uh, he'd been playing safety his whole life. He was a quarterback in a safety, been playing that those two positions his whole life. So that's where we started him out. And, and in our defense, the safeties get you know he's very he's really physical. We're we're a quarters team for the most part. We play cover four, where the safeties in that cover four defense are really uh, aggressive against the run. They got to be really good run fitters. And we had him at safety, and he just you know he just he just wasn't showing that physicality and. You know, there was some conversation about, oh, maybe he's not ready, maybe he's not ready. But then we had a corner go down, and we bumped him out the corner because he's a big, long kid, six foot two, and long, and you know, he's got some good feet. And man, he just thrived. He took off, and 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 once he got the confidence, you know, he was when he was playing safety, he wasn't he wasn't getting it. And he was a kid who was used to success, and he was struggling. And he was down on himself mentally. He went to corner, had a little bit of success, took off, wound up having a phenomenal year for us. Uh, and, and so really it was just, it was kind of on us. We were, we kind of had, and we were asking him to do some things that he wasn't ready to do. And when we put him into a position where, you know, he, he was better suited for success, he thrived. And now when I think about Kendrick green, you know, here's a guy who, who had six starts at center, uh, at Illinois and, and suddenly finds himself as a starting center in the NFL. And I think early on, you know, he had a little bit of success, before maybe many of the of the defensive uh, coordinators around the league got a good look at him and weren't quite sure what his strengths and weaknesses were, but once they kind of got a, a good feel for him, he really regressed because he was overmatched, you know. And I just, I just, I, my, I when I watched Green, I thought the biggest problem he had was snapping the ball and then getting his hands on the defender in front of him. I, I, he lost the first strike, you know, battle to contact a lot of the time. Um, meaning, you know, the defensive tackles, the, the, the nose guards were getting their hands on him before he was getting his hands on them. And when that happens, nine times out of 10, you lose the battle. And so I just think that that was a product of he didn't have enough reps, snap and shoot the hands. And now he's got to, you know, learn that on the fly. And as a rookie in the NFL, learn on the fly is a punishment. So I think he's a guy that if we move him out to guard, he's just been better suited for that. That's where his experience is. He's pretty athletic. And the Steelers can use a more mobile guard. Um, I don't know if they'll move him or not. You know, we're going to find out this offseason. I think if they go out and get a free agent center, we, I think we'll have a pretty good idea that Green's going to get moved. Uh, but to me, he's just not in the right spot right now. All right. We have an offensive lineman on our staff here that uh, that was a pretty good offensive lineman in college, a, a really big guy. It's Dave Schofield. And Dave Schofield is, to me, one of the smartest guys on this network as well. He's a little differing opinion from what you have. And I know you both have great respect for each other, and I'm not trying to pit you guys up against each other, but Dave's opinion on Kendrick green is 
that moving him to guard is not the ultimate quick fix. Now, he's not saying that he can't do it. He's just saying, what makes you think if a person can't, if a player can't succeed at one position that they're going to, they're going to perform better and excel at another position. We've seen in the past, we've seen a guy come in as a guard and move to center. Um, he was a, okay his rookie year as a guard, became a Hall of Fame center, and this is Dermani Dawson when he, when he moved to center. In fact, this team took, took a guy named uh, Chuck, uh, Chuck Lanza in the third round in 1989 to be out of Notre Dame to be the center because they, they didn't realize what they had in him. So I'm not poo-pooing what Dave Schofield is saying, but how do you answer somebody um, with Dave saying, yeah, he can succeed. Now you did say a lot of uh, about the quick hands and, you know, getting off the ball and not being able to basically what you told me in my mind is saying that, the multitasking was uh, at this level was a lot tougher for him than it might be at guard. So how would you approach Dave and start out with, with all due respect, I think he will succeed because. I'd call him a bum and I'd tell him he doesn't know what the heck he's talking about. <laughs> isn't, isn't that, isn't that what we're supposed to do online in the, in the, uh, in the, no, the, no those, those mean, are I, for the live chatters. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Got no, man. I mean, yes, I have tremendous respect for Dave and Dave's opinion. Uh, my, my, uh, you know, my worry with green is, is what you just said that, you know, his, his mind was cluttered. Boy, when you're the center, you got, you got to make protection calls. You got to snap the football. You got to handle the biggest, strongest defensive lineman uh, on the opposing team who generally play the, that one tech spot. It's an awful lot to do. And for, for a guy who, who, Okay, you'll get a, a guy like Creed Humphrey from Oklahoma. I mean, Creed Humph Humphrey's been a center his whole entire life. Uh, Kendrick Green has not. So to, to declutter, for lack of a better term, his mind and to, and to let him just sort of focus on technique and scheme like you can do if you're playing guard. And then to give him a chance to sort of do some things that he did in college. Like when I watched him uh, at Illinois, he was really good pulling and getting out into space. And I know the Steelers used to do that with Pouncey, but they really didn't do it at all last year with Green, uh, probably because of you know limitations across the board on the uh, up front. But if you if you move him move him to that guard spot and let him just focus on being an offensive lineman and not having to sort of do any of the other things that go along with playing center, it, it might just kind of clear some space in his head and allow him to play faster and more aggressively. All right, let's ask a question now about since you brought him up. And we're talking about Kendrick Green right now. And you brought up Creed Humphrey. So I'm going to go a little different angle. A lot of people wanted Creed Humphrey. I wanted Creed Humphrey in the second round. I love what the Steelers got in the second round. I wasn't in love with it that second. It, I mean, I'm one of those sometimes uh, shoot first, apologize later guys. And I will say that I will apologize later on because of my immediate reaction of Pat Fryermuth. But now that I know that they have Pat Fryermuth and how he was one touchdown away from tying the all-time touchdown mark for tight ends in a single season with Heath Miller, who has eight, and Pat had seven. I'm going to ask you the tough question here. 
Creed Humphrey or Pat Fryermuth, who should have been the number two pick for the Steelers? Well, with, with all respect to Fryermuth, who, who I really, I really enjoyed watching play, and I think is a huge addition to the team, uh, and will be a great player as we go down the line. Uh, Humphrey probably would have made more of a difference. You, you, you know, you see what he's doing in Kansas City, and um, he's. For me, the offensive offensive line begins with the center, and you build out from there. And he would be just be a stabilizing force for that line, and and he he really would have solved a lot of problems that the Steelers had. Um, and he projects as a guy that's going to be great for a long time in the league. And Frymuth does as well. And the Steelers, you know, I thought they did a nice job involving Frymuth in the offense, but with Roethlisberger. Uh, and the and the lack of a play action passing game for me the tight end is most useful in the play action passing game and we didn't get a whole lot of that so so while Fryermuth had a really good year uh, they they certainly could have used him a little bit more or a little bit differently and his impact probably wasn't as great as it could have been had they developed their play action passing game a little bit better whereas I just think Humphrey's impact is has been tremendous in Kansas City. And again, I mean that with no disrespect to Pat Fryermuth, who's uh, an excellent player, and I'm glad we have him. All right, let's talk about the game that ended the Steelers season. A lot of people going into it were saying that the Steelers don't deserve to make the playoffs. I disagree with that. I know you, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. I know you completely disagree with that too, because what people don't understand is when you make the playoffs, that means other teams had the same struggles that you did. And I'm talking about the Las Vegas, the Los Angeles Chargers. I'm talking about the Indianapolis Colts, who two weeks before they were thought to be givens to be, get into the playoffs. And they didn't make it down the stretch. So when you get to the point where someone's saying they don't deserve to be in the playoffs, then the very next week, those same people are saying, well, they blew it in the playoffs. How do you respond to that? And and what's your overreaction? I mean, excuse me. And what's your overall reaction of how the Steelers fared in the playoffs? Did they have a chance at all? I mean, first of all, I just think that whole they don't they didn't deserve to make the playoffs. Such a lazy argument because I mean, what are you saying? Because they why they tied Detroit? You know, they they they, they played poorly in, in a couple of games in the in the middle of the season. I, they, let's be honest, man. The Steelers just they just they weren't a great football team this year from a talent perspective and you you look at a lot of the a lot of the guys that they had on the field especially towards the end of the year they had to win their last two games to get in uh, against two division rivals the last one being in Baltimore and they had a bunch of like practice squad guys undrafted free agents and late round draft picks on the field cast offs from other teams how many t- how many teams in the league could have made it work with the lineup that Pittsburgh trotted out there uh, those last couple of weeks, you know, I just, I just think that's a lazy argument and, um, you know, that people, that people make when, when they just, they want to discount or, or, or discard some, somebody, uh, as, you know, but as far as how much of a chance they have going into Kansas city, let's be honest, uh, it, not much, you know, I, I think we all tried to talk ourselves into it, that, that, that they could win that football game. But based upon how limited they were on offense, and they were really limited, uh, it was going to be hard. You got to outscore the Chiefs. My gosh, anybody who watched 
that uh, epic Kansas City Buffalo game. Oh my, my gosh, thirteen seconds, right? You got to you got to put point if you're going to beat Mahomes and the Chiefs, you need to put points on the board because it took them thirteen seconds to kick uh, the, the game tying field goal when it looked like they were dead and buried. So Pittsburgh's not built for that, and you know, I, one thing if I could just add one more thing real quick. One thing you and I talked about when we did our pregame show for that playoff game was how when we reflected back on the Steelers regular season game in Kansas City like three weeks prior, the offensive game plan had been really stale and they hadn't really done anything to, to generate any offense. And, and one thing we talked about was they need to change it up. They need, to, they need to find a new plan of attack for the offense for that playoff game. And they just didn't. It was the same stuff that we'd seen week after week after week. And what that tells you is they didn't have anything else. So, you know, when you don't really have a great plan A, much less a plan B, and you go into Kansas City, you're in trouble. Honestly, could have the Steelers, no matter what the plan was, could have they won without personnel? Not if if Kansas City plays its best game. And hey, for about the first quarter and a half, Kansas City did not play its best game. And, you know, my gosh, it was it was seven nothing. And uh, it, I, by the way, I watched that game in Disney. Uh, That's right. Was, yeah. Yeah. We were down in Disney and, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, they say Disney Disney's the happiest place on earth. Right. Well, for, <laughs> I was I, just uh, you beat me to it. I was I started laughing. I was going to throw that out so much for yeah. the happiest place on earth. Oh, yeah. Well, let me tell you what I'll tell you. What we watched at a bar in in our hotel, we watched the end of the Cowboys game, which was on right before it. Uh, and uh, when they tr- when they tried to come up and spike that ball and and, and maybe kick a field goal that was going to send that game into overtime, and they bungled that whole thing, some Dallas fan at the bar erupted in what has to be the most profanity laced tirade in the history of <laughs> Disney. I mean, he went <laughs> in the history off. of Disney. I mean, Mickey Mouse would have dropped dead on the spot if he had been there to, to hear this thing. And, uh, and, and that just made my day, you know? So even though the Steelers lost later that night, I was like, you know, any Dallas fan that that's upset is, is that's everything else is just extra credit. Yeah, I, I know. You, you know, I got flipped off at Disney World. Oh, you did? Yeah. So, and it's because of the Steelers. My wife and I, well, she was my fiance at the time. Well, she didn't know it. I, we got engaged at Disney World Animal Kingdom. So they invited us and we got engaged in front of Mickey Mouse. I had it all set up and they, uh, they invited us to be in the parade. And so we're in the parade and I'm wearing, and this just happens to be 2006. So I'm wearing a sweatshirt that says world champions <laughs> and we're, we're in the parade and everyone's waving to us. Cause we're on this float and it's uh, like a carriage. It was really cool. And then I just hear, Hey, I'm from Cleveland and full extension. <laughs> so there was a different kind of a bluebird on my shoulder. <laughs> Haters going to hate Brian. And I loved it. Uh, That's my favorite story. I'm like, I got that reaction out of that man because I'm wearing a Steelers world champion shirt. This is awesome. Yeah. (laughs) At the Magic Kingdom, no less. Fantastic. Uh, It was magic for me. Yeah. (laughs) So, yes, Kansas City. uh, You know, I I, I think think if we're being honest, then we, we understand that 
that that was the end of the road and 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 we should be proud of the team for getting there uh, uh, warts and all everything everything that needs to be fixed those are all things that can be addressed as we as we move forward but when we look back one final time for the Steelers to have gone nine seven and one with with some of the injuries that they had to have qualified for the playoffs uh, I absolutely think that they should be proud of the season that they had so you don't feel they were embarrassed in the playoffs? I mean, I, I'll tell you what, I was way more embarrassed the previous two playoff games at home against Cleveland and at home against Jacksonville. I was yep. way more embarrassed in, the, of, in those games than I was of what happened in Kansas City. Okay. So with that being said, when you're looking at this team, and we both are very proud of this team, and with Ben Roethlisberger retiring, you, uh, you still feel that the arrow is pointing up because I actually still feel it is. Because the main thing for me is I think this was more of a personnel loss because they did not have the right, the right fit for the scheme because they did not have the right players for the scheme and where they were, they have a chance now to build into that scheme a little more. Is that your feeling? Yeah, I'm excited to do this, this show throughout the off season, because this is going to be the most fascinating offseason in a generation since Ben Roethlisberger became the quarterback, because obviously you have that question who, who will succeed him. And I, I think we all kind of know the answer, but it's still a fascinating question because I don't know if anybody believes that it's a permanent answer. And then you have the fact that they have cap space for the first time in a really long time, they've got some money to play with. I mean, and not, you know, not money where they can make a fringe signing, but where they might even be able to land one or two marquee free agents. And they've certainly got a lot of areas to address, uh, you know, in free agency and on the roster. Uh, and then of course, there's the questions about the coaching staff, Matt Canada, who is a polarizing figure and whether or not he should be brought back and Keith Butler retiring and, what will they do uh, on the defensive side of the ball? And who's going to replace Adrian Clem? Are they going to promote Chris Morgan? So it's a really, really interesting offseason for the Steelers. And, uh, and so as far as your question about whether the arrow is pointing up or not, I think they have to get, they got to get a lot of these things right. Uh, but if they do, then they've got an awful lot of young talent now on the roster. And uh, I think they have the opportunity to be to turn it around real fast. This is supposed to be a rebuild, uh, and and so if you can go nine seven and one and make the playoffs at the beginning of a rebuild, and then you know sort of survive next year in in decent shape, I think that they've set themselves up nicely for the future. Absolutely. So the one man that is not going to be a part of that rebuild on Thursday of this week. Ben Roethlisberger officially announced his retirement from the NFL. Could you give me your final thoughts in tribute to Ben? Well, anytime I think of Ben Roethlisberger, I think of the 2005 season when, you know, you're Brian and you and I are about the same age. Uh, we both endured the long drought from when they won Super Bowl uh, 14 all the way up to Super Bowl 40, that 26 year drought. And, and we know what it felt like uh, for us as we're going through the, the years, maybe when we were probably the Steelers may have been the most meaningful to us. Our teenage years, our 20s, when you just you when you're when when the Steelers would lose a game when I, and I was 20 years old, I wouldn't be able to sleep 
for two days. It would it, it bother me so much. Yep. And so we went through that long drought and, and they drafted Ben Roethlisberger and suddenly it was like, oh my gosh, they have a quarterback. And I, and I think about that 2005 postseason all the time. I think about that game in Indianapolis, the, the, the absolutely absurd circumstances in there and the tackle that Ben Roethlisberger made on Nick Harper as he's scooping up Bettis's fumble and, you know, maybe, maybe running it back for the most gut punched loss of all time as a Steelers fan. And uh, it just, you know, nothing Roethlisberger did was orthodox. Nothing he did followed a script uh, that any reasonable screenwriter w- would write, you know, like, no, no, there was just something different about him. He came in, he, he looked like a lineman. His best friend seemed to be lineman. Uh, he, he, he was tough as nails. He took so many hits and so many shots and he had so many injuries and he just kept playing through it and playing through it. And he was just like a warrior at quarterback. Uh, and in that postseason run in 2005, you know, I just think, I, I thought through it all and I just thought like this this is a guy who you can win a Super Bowl with, you know? And that was like the first time in a long, long time I'd ever felt like that about the Steelers. Never felt like that about uh Neil O'Donnell, never felt that way about Cordell Stewart. Knew the Steelers were really, really good teams in the in that era, but were flawed, fatally flawed at the quarterback position. So, you know, I'll always be grateful that for to, you know, that Roethlisberger was able to get us back into the promised land, so to speak. And, and uh, you know, just that 2005 postseason run will always be really special to me. Absolutely. I cannot say it better myself. So I have already done my tributes to Ben Roethlisberger. We, both of us have had the, uh, we, we've, we have had the opportunity to see Ben Roethlisberger play. We've had the opportunity to see Terry Bradshaw play, albeit at the end of his career. But I still remember the day he retired in 1984 and did not know that it was going to take that many years to find the next, the next player at quarterback that was going to be a superstar. It took 20 years for that man to come. If I'm doing my math right, and I think I am, yes, I'm doing my math right. But so it, it was just one of those things that a lot of people don't realize that that was not the darkest of days between Bradshaw and Ben, but it just wasn't that superstar. We had some pretty good days in between. There's some pretty good seasons that, that I'd love to talk about in that time period. So for those who did not know the Steelers before Ben Roethlisberger, it was exactly what you said. It wasn't, it wasn't that guy that you knew that you could rely on you hoped you could rely on. And when you had Ben, you knew you could rely on this guy for 18 years and it felt pretty good. So I'm so glad that he was our quarterback as well. So with that being said, Kevin, I want to thank you so much. I thought that was a great analysis. We're going to have so many analyses, analyses this season. And uh, I thank you for all of your insight. Yeah, it's fun, Brian. Uh, I'm looking forward to to what happens this off season. It's it's a it's another season in, in a way, and it's filled with uh, all sorts of unknowns. So it'll be exciting to watch it unfold and get to discuss it together. Absolutely, I cannot wait. 
So for you, thank you. We cannot do these shows without all of you listening to this. So thank you so much. Make sure you check out Behind the Still Curtain on the editorial side where Kevin writes and I do sometimes as well. And check out BTSC on the audio side as well. So we're going to have three original podcasts every single day, seven days a week for you. So there's no reason to go away. In the offseason, we are going to be your nonstop shop as well as one-stop shop for Pittsburgh Steelers. In the meantime, we need you to do three things for us. One, be safe. It's a crazy world out there. We need you. Two, be true to yourself. Only you can be you, and that's a special thing. That's who I want to be around me, the original you. And three, always be behind the steel curtain. For Kevin Smith, I'm Brian Anthony Davis. We will talk to you soon, my friends. God bless. Yeah.